Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, I'm on my prism right now, and I'm talking to an alternate version of you who decided not to do this podcast seven years ago. <laughs> Anything you want me to ask him? Can I borrow some money? <laughs> um, the alternate version of David, yeah. Ask him what he's doing with all the bountiful free time that he spent with his daughter. <laughs> ask him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very close with his daughter. He, he, and, saw, her, uh, he saw her raised. Like, saw her. <laughs> he also has an endowed chair at um, Stanford. Yeah, um, ask him what his H index is. <laughs> <laughs> he, I told him yours, and he, he feels bad. He doesn't want to. <laughs> he doesn't want to uh, tell you. Right. So, uh, so I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. I assume he would also be David Pizarro from Cornell University, but he, may, he might. No, he's now David Pizarro from Stanford from, University. From Harvard. He's now yeah. the H.W.L. Llewellyn Chair of, psych, uh, of psych, Social Psychology. <laughs> so, okay, today we're going to do, uh, uh, in the second uh, breakdown of the short story, Anxiety of the Dizziness. Uh, anxiety anxiety is- is the dizziness of freedom by ted chang you know ted chang has the best titles he's so um, freaking brilliant if any of our listeners knows ted chang <laughs> please tell him that we want him on the show yeah Although I not, it's, it may, yeah yeah maybe it's not obvious that he'd be but but I, I from everything i read like i feel like he would we'd have so much fun he has been on a podcast before i think um, yeah like, I honestly, I will always associate this summer with him. I read both his books mm-hmm. of short stories over the summer, and I loved both of them. And they're just, it's just amazing. Uh, once we get to that discussion, you'll understand the opening question uh, if you haven't read it yet. Before that, we are going to, in the opening segment, select our five or six finalists for our Patreon listener selected episode. We got a ton of great suggestions, including. From a number of people, this Ted Chang story. Yeah, already I feel did. like we've already we've already knocked one off the list. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, we have a ton of great suggestions. I was very. I saw these as they were coming in, you know, because we get alerts on email or whatever, and and I still was not prepared for the just sheer amount of people who gave us suggestions. 
We got over 100. We got like 114 or something, 115 yeah. suggestions. And the quality of the, like, so we're going to do, we, we have to pick out of these five or six finalists. And then our $5 and up Patreon supporters get to vote on which, which topic that we do for, the, for that episode. And we have to do it. We are bound yeah. by honor to do it. And uh, and the honor that you speak of is to, when asked to come up with five, you came up with 11. That's this. <laughs> but I can narrow it down further. <laughs> yeah, but no. they're just so good. I, I want to yeah, do yeah. all of these. I, I saved the file uh, of my the ones that I particularly liked so that when we're struggling to do an episode... I can that we can have it. Go. Okay. So let's let's just dive right into it. What, yeah. Why don't what, you start? These are in no particular order. Yeah, neither uh, am I. So Tomas suggested, I don't know why I like this. I I wonder I wonder if this is on your list. An episode where you read and reply to a random sample of listener <laughs> emails. And I don't know how random would be determined exactly because we'd probably want to narrow them down or whatever. But I kind of like the idea that we have to respond to emails that we didn't specifically choose to respond to. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't put this on my list because of the fear of the word random, meaning like it would actually... My well, honor, my honor is a math of the mathematical sort. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how the mechanics of it are tough, so maybe we'll keep that on the back burner. Okay, so uh, Rick, we're gonna. Say, I'm gonna say their first names like you did because I don't know if they want our la- their last names. But Rick, are you sure you're Rick, not saying his last name just because you're worried about coming? Rick Hyman. Place? Rick Hyman is his last name. <laughs> Anti-Semitic or something like Jesse Jackson. <laughs> Hyman. <laughs> um, his his uh, suggestion was about fairness so he started off with is fair real but then went on to, to some I think interesting questions about what is fairness and I think there's actually a lot of even developmental and comparative psychology on fairness some good and some not so good and I don't think we've really covered that yeah that I had this one too so there's a really short book called The Ajax Dilemma by Paul Woodruff called Justice, Fairness, and Rewards. And um, the argument in the book is that fairness and and the exclusive focus on fairness is actually a problem and we should focus more on justice. And, you know, he makes a distinction between them using the story of um, Ajax. And it's it's really an excellent book. So if we could pair that with some psychology research... That could be yeah. really, that's, that's really good. good. Yeah. So, all right. I'm going to start with these ones that, I don't know, tickled me. I, found, I think they would be fun. Um, so that the first one was the random emails. The second one is from Sarah Price. She says, I love you guys. Would you be willing to do a revisit of raising kids and gender norms? I thought your initial discussion was so fascinating, but I can never go back and re-listen to it because it's like listening to my parents fight. Um, I read that one. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I love this idea. I think it would be fun for us. I don't know if you've gone back and listened to it. I have not. No, Um, I I cannot. I think it would just be fun to see if we've changed our minds. Are we still, do we still disagree as much as we did then? Am I still right? It's a real question. <laughs> probably, <I'm> probably not, <laughs> right? Uh, I think I've been vindicated. But I, I honestly, like, I don't even totally remember why we were fighting so much. 
And so I would do this. Yeah, you're not as enthusiastic. I'm less enthusiastic because because I very vividly remember why we fought. <laughs> but it would have to be sort of like we'd have to treat it. Part of the problem with that episode is that we went in on it kind of, kind of not prepared. We just discussed this one play diet article, and I think to do it justice, we'd have to do actually look at some real research. And you believe me, in the last six years or whatever, people have sent us plenty of uh, articles. So we probably just just uh, uh, do a quick search in our Gmail. Okay. So I, I, I'd like to keep that in mind. Okay. Um, so my next one is Rex Teen, uh, who broadly uh, suggested we talk about culture and cognition and, and the work on cross-cultural differences in, in cognition, which I, I don't think we've really talked about either. Um, um, like the, yeah. the work on holistic versus uh, uh, like, whatever the opposite of holistic is. Uh, yeah. Language, the, the role of different languages on cognition and the role of different uh, cultural yeah. environments. Yeah, exactly. Like we, that, there's all this work on, on, say, East Asians using context more in their judgments versus, versus Westerners. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is my my book, Relative Justice, uh, goes into that research a fair amount, um, as I'm sure you remember. This is the second book plug uh, during this episode, <laughs> so just get them all out of the way. You know, I've written many articles myself. <laughs> you can find uh, them. <laughs> I feel like you've plugged, you've plugged the, like superhero villain article probably like oh, 15 yeah. times on this podcast so. uh i wrote an article on uh superhero comics as moral yeah. pornography yeah <laughs> put a link in the show uh, <laughs> we're gonna get into another fight now just like we can revisit that for a future uh we revisit this episode for a future was this one on your on yours at all yeah, yeah, it was in my like slightly longer list. It seemed it's such a big topic that I'm not sure what we would exactly focus on. I think that was my worry. I mean, like right. there are think cool things like certain cultures are not as vulnerable to the Mueller liar illusion because they don't live in a world of such, you know, like I find that stuff fascinating, but I don't know what's like what our target thing would be. To right. It could be like the collectivistic versus individualistic stuff on just basic perception and stuff like that. But, but that's actually something that excites me about narrowing down. So even if we don't do it as one of our top, like I could actually, it's a good topic for like picking out some articles. So yeah. I agree. I think it's definitely something I want to do at some point. We I'm can not keep sh- it on the, let's keep that one on the back burner. Then. Um, all right. And this is Brian Burke, would be interested in the ethics of loyalty, possibly using Rorty's justice as a larger loyalty as a jumping off point. Loyalty seems like a problematic, quote, good in either utilitarian or deontological frameworks in the sense that everyone seems to value it, but it ultimately functions like a finger on that's on the scale for the group or person to whom the loyalty is owed with no clear way to calibrate how much additional weight should be balanced against other groups' good or harms or rights. So I think this this one I really like because I think we haven't done anything on loyalty and we haven't done anything on Rorty, which a lot of people have asked us to do. So I think this would be a way of combining both. Is there... Is there an article that he discussed it? Did he? Yeah, no, no. Rorty's justice as larger lo- oh, justice loyalty. Large. Yeah, and it's not a long article, and it's good. I I, I looked through it. I I didn't read it before, right. but I looked through it. Yeah. yeah, I liked it. This was on my longer 
non non short list. I and I knew that you would pick it, so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have to. <laughs> there is a little game theory to this, you know. Like, yeah, there. <laughs> which I that's why I just decided to broaden the list is because I didn't right. want to not pick something because I thought you would pick it and then you didn't end up picking yeah, it. Right. So. Um, uh, so my next one is it might, this actually might be on yours, um, Mark Kerr, uh, and apologies historically, but apologies just more generally, I think. Um, uh, but he, op- he opened it up with saying like his apologies for historical ills, um, which could easily get to a discussion of reparations. But I think there is an interesting thing just in general, not just historically, but about apologies and the function and what's a good one and what's a bad one. And there's some work that I haven't read on that. We had a great discussion with your friend, Damani, <laughs> about reparations that unfortunately was lost. Uh, we <laughs> then did a different, uh, another recording, but I don't know if Wait, we focused we as much about reparations. On... We did? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, In fact, Damani recently texted me and he's like, uh, he said that his friend had um, listened to the conversation and decided that I was racist for my, uh, for all the reasons that I was uh, against reparations in that episode. And I said, I said, uh, was your friend black? Because then I would take it actually very seriously. And he said he's half black. So now it's like a coin flip. I don't know if I'm racist. Like, I don't know if I'm being accused by a white liberal or like... (laughs) You're you're half racist if a half black person accuses you of racist. Speaking of that, um, Alexander Zaney, he I think he's meant I think he's suggested this before, and I think we've actually chosen a topic that he's chosen. But he says I still want to hear you guys talk about feminist epistemology. I'm right. partway through Epistemic Injustice by Miranda Fricker, and I think it's fascinating. The marriage of epistemology and ethics seems like a match made in heaven, which Tamler at least would love. I think that's right. I've, I I would love to do this. I think the I I worry that our patrons won't pick it because we've um, put it on did, there before and it hasn't <laughs> done that well. So well, I feel, so why don't we just put it in our list of things that we'll get to? Um, yeah, because we'll I think you're it. right. Like we've had enough. So so I think we owe. I think we we'd both. We're just gonna do it. Get a kid. Yeah, we'll do it. Okay. Just like just like we're gonna do. Uh, the denial of death, <laughs> which has been on our list every single year, and we never do. It. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I didn't even put that on because no, like, I didn't if we either. didn't do it by now. We're probably just never gonna. <laughs> uh, so the my next one, the first one that I saw, but then it ended up being echoed and and uh, brought up by a bunch of people is Josh Graham who who just said anything David Foster Wallace, um, yes. which I'm totally down to do. I've read none of his books, but a bunch of his essays. Um, I, think I bought Infinite Jest this summer. <laughs> of course <laughs> that's, you did. That's about as much as I can say. Um, mm. And I really intended to read it. And I, I bought it on my Kindle, and it actually made my, kin- my Kindle heavier. <laughs> Um, and then J.D. Tamucci, I think we should definitely do this one because uh, I had it right. too. Uh, he actually suggested an essay, Authority and American Usage. Maybe we could get Paul Bloom for this. Um, and then he has a section on teaching and writing essays. There's an infamous speech he talks about giving to students whose dialect does not follow rules of Stanford written English in there. So he gives a link 
So, um, so maybe we could look at that. I also think I, I, I watched his Kenyan college speech over the summer, that famous commencement address. The water one? Uh, yeah, this is water. And yeah. I thought that, that itself could be. Um, but maybe we could just do a couple, you know, that plus, you know, we'll pick yeah. an essay. I think that's a great idea. And I think I, I love his essay on uh, being on cruise ships. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that that would make a good episode. <laughs> it's so good. But yeah, definitely. Let's put that on. Uh, speaking of Paul Bloom, I don't think this will make it on yours. And I don't even know if it should be a full episode. But Paul and The Prestige. I just really want to talk more about the movie The Prestige. <laughs> and I've, I've been on a Christopher Nolan kick, um, uh, which is not weird for me. I think I've seen most of his movies m- many times. But, but um, I just would happily talk about The Prestige any day of the week. I would do that. I don't think it should be on this list, though. Um, and I, I'm a little and it, more ambivalent about Christopher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About him, although I really love uh, a few of his movies, and I'll always yeah. be grateful for him for doing that 2001: A Space Odyssey, the original 70 millimeter thing that he did. Oh, yeah. Last summer. By the way, I was I was watching uh, Memento uh, with Nikki and um, and. I was talking to her about the interpretation and, and then I was like, wait, I think I might've done a whole episode and I had completely forgotten that we did a whole episode on Memento. Wait, we definitely did, we, right? We did all, yeah, we did. I looked it up and, and I was like, well, who was fuck. on it? Paul? Uh, Paul. <laughs> yeah. God. And I was like, I was feeling shitty, but then I was like, well, I mean, if you've given 173 lectures, like what are the chances that you're going to remember them all? You know? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 now I kind of remember that we did it, but it's funny when you said memento, I said, Hey, we could do that one. But yes. Yeah. You know, I made up a joke and I told my daughter to know it wasn't very, it didn't meet with the laughter that I thought it should, but it was what kind of mints help your memory? Mementos. <laughs> <laughs> I respect your daughter for not <laughs> giving Don't you cut this one out. Re- Don't cut it out. I want to hear feedback <laughs> about that joke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, you're up. All right. Um I don't know, like we're doing a Chang story today, but we got a bunch of other suggestions and I've read all his stories. He doesn't have that many, but there's a couple other stories like Merchant and Al- Alchemist Gate, Hell is the Absence of God. Um so, like, I don't know. We could put, but I a, think a, it's a given yeah. that we're going to do another change story. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. so I won't do that no. one. I will yeah. say Hector Mata suggested Herman Hesse's novel, short novel, Steppenwolf. I think that would be a kind of offbeat, pretty fun one to do. I don't know if you know anything about it. I read never it read in it. my twenties, mm-hmm. and it's no. it's a fun book. It's like one of those books that you think might change your life. And it doesn't end up quite doing that, or at least it didn't for me, but it definitely seemed like it might as I was reading it. My only reluctance is to read an entire book, but if, but, but if, if you want to fight for it, I'll happily. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if I can fight for it because I don't yeah. remember enough about it. All right. You have, um, I have two more that I really want to at least float. So, yeah, I have, I have two. Um, okay. One I'm not sure about. Um, 
but but it would give us an opportunity to talk about and learn about something that I don't know that much about, and that is uh, Christine Caroline suggested talking about the the greater ma- the greater male variability hypothesis, which is this this view that um, <clears throat> men more so than women have uh, variability in across numerous traits. So so you know I think it's often talked about in terms of intelligence. So they're there supposedly there's again i don't know anything about this there's supposedly greater variability in iq scores with like more dumb men and more very smart men and the the range is restricted or the average is restricted in in women and i know that it's a super obviously controversial hypothesis but i don't actually know what the state of evidence is for it at all and so this would just be an excuse to to read it yeah it would be interesting i mean i would before putting it on the list i would want to know what this state of evidence is for it yeah because it would be interesting were it true to talk about the implications of it but if it's if it's not true or if the jury's still very much out then yeah it's not well we could pair it with the discussion of measurement because it hinges on whether or not we're measuring the things (laughs) speaking of (laughs) measurement uh nobody nobody brought up measurement (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nobody, nobody did you just did you just suggest your own patreon did you come up with a fake $5? no somebody did actually um <laughs> and jessica flake if you're listening which i know you aren't you've made it very clear you aren't um i am going to do my best to get him to talk about measurement at some <laughs> point all right, so this is from Farid. What are the things that make human psychology slash behavior, et cetera, not amenable to empirical research with the aims of deriving universal and generalizable laws principles? Tamler was trying to get at this in an episode with Paul Bloom on parenting, how some of the things may not be measurable or might have such multivariate or complex relationships with each other that simple linear relationships as explanations just make no sense that is obviously something that i'm interested in and yeah okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna uh then piggyback on this because it is part of this so dvij mankad suggested just an episode on philosophy of science Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that specific a- aspect of philosophy of science, which we obviously both have expressed interest in me yeah. being more, uh, optimistic than you, um, would be, it'd be hard, but worth the effort. But, but as I told you before, when we were discussing it, you have to read just as much as me in this, I agree. In this case. <laughs> I totally agree. And I do. And I totally agree that it's a philosophy of science issue. Yeah. Like it's not a question just about social psychology or I think right. this is a general question about when <laughs> is a a a thing in nature amenable to um empirical investigation in of the kind that we do of the and and when isn't it and I think that's a really interesting quality of writing, yeah. quality of uh so there's all sorts of um interesting ways that could go. All right, good. And you know, this piggybacks a little bit onto, I've used the word piggybacks too much, but uh, onto the short story a little bit, which uh, we're going to discuss in the second segment, that talks about the causal relationship of things that influence the state of the world. So our our second segment is going to piggyback on your piggybacking of <laughs> a lot of pigs, the, <laughs> a lot of pigs, and a lot of backs. So, back. I'm sorry, dear kosher friends. This is all <laughs> non kosher episode. So, 
Shall we go over what we have? Oh, um, uh, I have one more. Stephen Want. How about an episode on the original Gazaniga studies of split brain patients and the implications for consciousness and oh, yeah. the self? In addition to the original work, Nagel wrote about the studies in Mortal Questions. Call back. And there's a recent replication that complicates the picture, which I looked at. He linked yeah, to Yeah, I actually read that one based on his... I hadn't seen it. Um, so, so yeah, I, that's super interesting. Like, I, I'm worried now after the Memento thing that we have already talked about, but I don't... No, I think we've we never talked it. about... Yeah, 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 but we've never actually uh, discussed, discussed it. Um, all right, all we right. got to do it. So... So uh, what are the ones we definitely said we were going to do? We, I think we had agreement on fairness. We had yeah. agreement on David Foster Wallace. Yeah. We had agreement on measurement slash philosophy of science. Awesome. The Rorty and loyalty. Yeah. That we both agreed. Okay. That's four. Um, and then the question is of the ones. Gazaniga. The split, oh, the split brain. Yeah, that's yeah, five. That. That's five right there. That's, do you have that's any that right that there. leaves out that you no, want to fight for? I don't think so. I don't think right. so because the culture and cognition I want to do, but we, but we agreed to backburner that for. And then you know what? Let's put. You want to toss in random sample of listener emails? I'm curious as to how interesting that would be to people. All right. Uh, they're just going to have to trust that we'll come up with some definition of random that is in the spirit. Of I know. I'm not, I am not at all going to go into pseudo-random generation of numbers. I'm going to go full, full random. <laughs> never go full Gen- random. Never go full random. <laughs> that was your problem. You went full random. <laughs> I, <laughs> you, uh, no gender norms? I'll, I'll work on it. Sarah Price, I will work okay. on him for this. Yeah. <laughs> all right thank you guys this is great i can almost promise you that we'll do more than one more than two uh, of these that's certainly how it's been in the past and this is why we love our patreon uh supporters so much not only do they support us financially but they give us good ideas for future right. episodes right they feed us <laughs> we'll be right back to talk about ted Chang's story, Anxiety is the Dizziness of Freedom. This week's episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you in part by Outlier.org. Tamler, you know how you're always spouting off uh, ignorant things about psychology as a field? You know, <laughs> I have exposed certain 
fatal weaknesses <laughs> in the foundation, yes. Well, um, uh, because of that, I, I was thinking about maybe getting you for, for this Christmas gift or Hanukkah or whatever it is you celebrate. Um, a class on outlier.org on introduction to psychology, in part taught by, uh, by me, Paul Bloom, J. Van Babel, and others. What do, you, what do you think? Would you take it? I might, yeah. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of you in it, judging by the, the, the previews of it. That, well, I, like, I kind of get enough of you already. I'm not sure, but uh, this is this is a very good point. I would not blame you at all. Um, but for those of you interested, uh, we're kind of excited actually to to talk about this. Outlier.org is a brand new company. It's uh, from the founder, co-founder of Masterclass.com, and the idea is to bring education online in a way that that I think actually is more effective than it has been traditionally. So they've developed online university level courses taught by some of the most celebrated educators in the world. There are four credit courses, which I think is is the key part here. Um, you can take these courses right now. They have intro psych, which I said I'm part of, but so is Paul, along with, I think, 10 other professors. And there's a calculus, an intro to calculus, which I never take and I would really love, love to take. Um, they're engaging. They're beautifully filmed. I really go, go to the website and see the preview. Ignore me, but like just the lighting alone. Like I think Tamler, you'd really, really appreciate the, the look, the lighting, the cinematography, <laughs> the lighting. It looks like a film, as you say, as you say. <laughs> so you're calling um, yourself one of the most celebrated professors well, in the world. Uh, Aaron Rasmussen is the guy who started this. And I feel like I am sort of the Leo DiCaprio to his Martin Scorsese. <laughs> I, <didn't... laughs> I see. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, take it uh, if you're interested at all, even if you don't want to take it for credit and you just want to learn intro psych, I think it's a great class, but it's transferable credits from a top university, meaning that if you take this, um, you can actually take it to any any real university and they'll give you credit, including if you came to Cornell. It's only $400 per course, which compared to most brick and mortar universities is is quite the steal. It gives you flexibility to learn at your own pace and schedule. It gives you an online interactive textbook. It's, as they say nowadays, active learning. You get free tutoring, study groups. And as they point out, one of the best things is you get to hear us say fuck a lot in the lectures. Um, I believe that in the very first lecture, I say fuck a lot. Um, you say that Freud was pretty fucking wrong. It's according yeah. to these. Yeah. That's right. According to the notes. So spring enrollment just opened. There are limited spots. Register now to start the course for January 2020, either psych or calculus. And when you sign up, if you can do us a favor and in the spot that asks how you heard of Outlier, if you can put very bad wizards to let them know that you came from us, we'd really appreciate it. We really like to keep them as a sponsor because they're kind of cool. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. At this time, we like to take a moment to thank our listeners for all the different ways that you get in touch with us that you support us that you criticize us and thank us and we're just really grateful for all the contact that we get and there's a lot of different ways you can do it you can email us very bad wizards at gmail.com we read all emails but we don't have time to respond to that many of them and we're sorry about that but we do read them i read them anyway so you say <laughs> uh, you can tweet us at tamler at peas at very bad wizards 
You can join the lively discussion on Reddit. You can follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, although I, I'm th- the Facebook thing is so annoying. Like I'm thinking of shutting that down. But uh, annoying in what in what way? It's like it just takes forever. Like I'm the person who yeah. does all the social media oh. stuff is in charge of it, and it's just so freaking annoying to like post something. It just takes a long time, and it just seems like fewer and fewer people are using it. I don't even know if I've posted the Chappelle and uh, yeah, Facebook sucks. The, Facebook sucks. Let's just I'm, I fully support the move away. So for right now. You can follow us on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know how much longer that'll be the case. Uh, rate us on iTunes. We've gotten some great reviews. I think we should do like a segment at some point or at least a short little thing where we read our oh, yeah, favorite be reviews. Because um, I think that's that really helps our podcast. That helps people find it. And um, and yeah, so thank you for, for getting in touch with us. And we look forward to more lively discussion. And if you want to support us in more tangible ways, here's yet another thank you to everybody who has done so. We've just devoted the first segment to uh, our Patreon listeners, so I won't extend the thank you too much other than to say we really appreciate it. And if you want to donate uh, and support us in that way, you can go to our uh, Very Bad Wizards support page. Uh, it's just on our podcast page. There's a link to support. Um, you can also give us a one-time donation on paypal um and we very much appreciate that now i was going to mention some uh, one quick thing because i wanted to get your thought that has to do with listeners so i was just giving a talk and we had a listener um come up and talk to me quite a bit he's a is a fan of of our podcast and he said you guys really seem to disagree less um than you used to we get a lot of and i was yeah yeah and i was thinking about this and and i don't i you know i don't think that that's true i think that what is being captured by our our fewer fights is that we a lot of those earlier fights were caused by actual misunderstandings of yeah. what we were saying like a, just a failures of communication and i think that um that to the extent that we we disagree now it's like clear what we disagree about and we just say it we don't have to fight about it right I definitely think we fight less in the sense of on the podcast, we fight less. Like we don't get into these big blow up arguments. I can't remember the last one, but we used to have them every so often. (laughs) But do we disagree less? We might even disagree more because I've sort of evolved into a slightly more extreme version of what I believed earlier when it comes (laughs) to like empirical investigation and when and the value of it in certain cases and so uh, and are you saying that i haven't evolved at all is that what you're saying <laughs> the evolution was all on your end Fuck you. exactly i've gone <laughs> i've been progressively moving towards the truth and you're just <laughs> stuck anyway so thank you all this that was an aside but I, I felt like talking about it thank you all for all your support um and we really really appreciate it So let's talk about this story. This is called Anxiety is the Dizziness of Freedom. It's in Ted Chang's Exhalation, which I can't recommend enough to our listeners. I I guarantee, I guarantee that you will love, I'm not going to promise to pay you back if you don't love this book, but if you love this podcast, you will love this book. If you like this podcast, you you will love this book. It is just a brilliant collection of short stories. 
This story, actually, you could have read a slightly abbreviated version of it in the New York Times if you got the print edition, which we do on Sundays. Um, he, it was just in the, I think it was the Weekend Review, uh, Sunday Review, and it, it, I remember, I just absolutely loved it then. I thought it was fascinating, just the world that it builds, and um, yeah, and then it's the last story in this new collection. So... My thought was, we're going to set up this world. I, I, I strongly recommend, obviously, as we always do, reading the story before listening to this discussion. But if you haven't and you still want to listen, I do think there's just a lot of just interesting ways of approaching this story as a thought experiment. Normally, I don't like doing that with art. Um, but I think this is such a fascinating thought experiment that I, that I think, at least for the beginning of our discussion, maybe we could just talk about what if the world were like the world that is described in this story. Um, so here's, yeah. here's the way the, the, the just and fill in anything that I'm missing here, but there are these prisms which is a acronym, quasi-acronym for Plaga Interworld uh, Signaling Mechanism. And what they do is, so you buy a prism and then you enable it. Either a red light or a blue light will pop up. And if a red light pops up, then you now are able to communicate with a world, because this is a quantum event, where the blue light popped up. And in doing so, you are able to speak with alternate versions of yourself and or text alternate versions of yourself or even see alternate versions of yourself. Can I fill in yeah. some of the, sure. the interesting? So it's like a quantum coin flip. So the idea yeah. being that when this prism via this quantum mechanism, which it actually causes a split in universes. Right. So you, if you're familiar with it all, the multi uh, multiple universes theory um, that that at every p- potential point in which different outcomes are possible, the universe is split. Here, the description is that it has to be a particular kind of outcome that is built on this quantum mechanism that will actually cause it to split. And so when you do, you're essentially creating this, this two, these two, you know, they're both you. Yeah, and you are able to communicate only for a, sh- a short period of time, but for a period of time with... Um, with yourself or with whoever is holding that prism in the alternate in the alternate world. And I guess right. one question I had was how do you find the alternate version of you? But I guess well, this, up till that point the alternate version of you is the same you and that's so right. they have the prism and they're doing that's right. the same thing as as, as you did, right? That's 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 exactly right. And so so because you are still one universe, you, you both of those copy the both of the parallel universes that end up being split, you you are actually holding that prism and then it gets split. And I think super interestingly, which you only have yeah, that limited in the mechanism itself, it allows communication through the transfer of information, but there is a limited amount of transmission 
that is in this uh, mechanism. So it has a it has a finite life. And there are companies that try to make money off this technology. One of them is called Self Talk, and it is where um, one of the central characters, Nat, works, and also another character named Murrow works. And that's a company where it's doing poorly now because more people can afford their own prisms, but this is one where you can uh, use their prisms to talk to an alternate version of yourself. And I guess here was where my question, how, if you go to one of these companies, how are, since it's not your prism, how are you going to be talking to the version of you? But I guess there's also another version of self-talk, that company, and they will track you down and tell you. Right, exactly, right. In 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 some of the universes, the same exact company exists often. With the same exact employees, yeah. So then, and then there's another company called Crystal Ball. And this one is an interesting one because let's say you want to find out what would have happened if you had made a different decision. What Crystal Ball (laughs) does is they will, using all the prisms that they've accumulated, search for a world, um, contact all the other alternate Crystal Balls, and search for a world where it seems like you have made this decision. So uh, one of the characters named Teresa turned down a marriage proposal from, I think, a guy named Andrew, right? And so she was considering going to Crystal Ball to see if they could find, they can't promise they can, they, they'll find it, but maybe they'll find it, um, a version of the world where she had decided to marry Andrew. Right. And then she can talk and see how that version of Teresa is doing. Is she happy? Is she already divorced? Is she... So there's all sorts of ways in which you can examine what would have happened had you made a different choice. Now, it could be that there's no world in which... This is one of the interesting kind of free will-related issues. It could be there's no world where she accepted this proposal the only way there would be according to i think the way this is set up is that if it was kind of a close call if it was if you were really thinking about it and something very insignificant could have pushed you one way rather than another a weather change or uh something along those lines right and i think it's important i think to get um if this wasn't clear the prism mechanism that is causing the split with this uh, quantum decision, this quantum coin flip that it's doing, is also the only means of communication between the parallel universes that it creates. And your choices in this story don't split the universe. Because a lot of times when people talk about multiple universes, they think that, well, the the universe in which I chose this way, that's not the case. So what they have to do is find, since the prisms are the only vessel to communicate to these various uh, parallel universes, they have to go through all of the prisms, which remember have finite use, and find which of the prisms, you know, they'll go and ask, hey, look up this uh, Teresa and see if she married Andrew or whatever. Yeah, I thought I said that, but maybe I didn't. Um, Uh, I don't think it was clear that the choices aren't 
causing any splits. Like well, it's right. really it, no. Yeah. What's causing the split in all cases is the activation of the prism. The yeah. only way a decision can cause, or at least can be associated with the split, is if you use the prism to make a decision. So let's say you're kind of deciding whether to accept a job offer, and you take a prism, and you say, "All right, if it goes up red, then I'll." accept it if i don't yeah. if it turns up blue then it, then i'll then i'll turn it down that would allow you then i don't know if you would want this this is an interesting case right it would allow you then to communicate with a version of yourself that accepted the job if you didn't and vice versa right um so like chang is so great at he kind of gives he 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 builds this world where there are support groups where people have kind of a destructive relationship with the prisms um and one of the questions that i thought might be interesting to discuss is it seems like a lot of people struggle with jealousy or envy of their paraselves that's what Mm -hmm. your alternate self is called if they are in touch with their paraself and their paraself is doing better then they are in some sort of way are does that drive them crazy does that do they want their paraself to be unhappy so they can feel better about their own life their own right. life even though it's that's a re, that's a real version of you that's out there and that exists metaphysically in some world uh, and so like when teresa this character is deciding whether she wants to talk to if if this prism exists a version of herself that married andrew she, she expressed some sort of fear that what if you know there's this version of her who married him and is blissfully happy she's just like just doing great yeah. she's she's found her soulmate and how could how would she feel about that but then if you think about it if if that's what she's worried about, then what she really wants is for her paraself to be unhappy, which is a strange kind of thing to want yourself to be unhappy. Right. Um, and so, Teresa, you know, I mean, this is I think this is probably a theme that we'll come back to. But this is it, just like the other Ted Chang stories we've read is a uh, such a wonderful joining of both the sci-fi uh, tech angle and the actual human consequences. Like what? actually would people like how would their relationship be and so Teresa in the story is actually in therapy because she's trying to decide and uh she says she's afraid of finding out that he would be be uh that her counterpart would be happy and and she's worried that that might be petty of her but but these are like regret machines you know like these are there's there's only a few parallel universes where you would be super satisfied that you had made all the good decisions i i think that 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 strikes a that strikes me as psychologically plausible. I wonder, like, would you want to be tracking down alternate versions of you? Maybe versions that made a different decision? I, I per, so if you're asking me personally, I, I was thinking about this throughout reading this story. Um, and, you know, Chang goes through a variety of reasons why somebody might want to do this. And I could not, I could not for the life of me think of a situation in which uh this would make me happy in any way like i think i would avoid it i like to think at least that i i would avoid it because i don't i i really think nothing good can come of it yeah it's like social media (laughs) 
exactly. It's like all it will do is probably outrage you or piss you off or frustrate you in in some way. Uh, and and if I came up with if I came across a, a version of me who is miserable, I, like I think I would feel really bad. You know, talk about like the you know, Paul Bloom's general point about empathy being parochial. Like this is the ultimate. Like I would actually be like super worried about myself in the other universe. <laughs> but at the same time, you'd be like, "Well, I'm glad that's not me." You know, even though it is you, which is one of the. So here, here's another thing that I think is interesting. So sticking with Teresa. She's not sure. Crystal Ball can't promise her that there is a version of her yeah. that uh, that 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 made the decision to marry him, and so she says, this is on page two seventy six. I don't know. I hadn't considered the possibility that they might not be able to find a branch where I said yes to Andrew. Why wouldn't they be able to find a branch like that? And Dana, who is the support group leader, answers. Uh, it could mean that your decision to reject him wasn't a close call. It may have felt like you were on the fence, but in fact you weren't. Your decision to turn him down was based on a deep feeling, not a whim. I want to just ask you what you think about that idea. What justifies Dana saying that? That it could on- that they would only be able to find a prism if it was a close call. If she was really on the fence rather than this decision being based on some sort of deep feeling that she isn't aware of. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting that that it's a deep feeling like that he specifies a yeah. feeling. Um I think well here's part of it that resonated with me. Um and that is uh when I've talked to some people. I remember we had a gra- a graduate student not too long ago here in our program who had the choice between two job offers, so, which is a big blessing if you're an academic. Um, they were very different. One was at a business school. One was at a more traditional psych department. And she was, in her mind, seriously deliberating over this. She was having a lot of trouble trying to figure out whether which one she was going to take. And I remember telling her specifically, no, like, it's completely obvious to me which one you're going to take. Like it is, there is like knowing you, I know that that's going to be the one it's, it's cute that you feel like you're deliberating, but like, I, I really had this deep sense that the deliberation wasn't doing any work. And I think that that, that there are many times in life where we, we go through the motions in a self-deceptive way of deliberating. And what Dana, the therapist in this case is trying to tell Teresa is there are a lot of instances where you've done that. Right. But but that presupposes then that there that the way this works you are only going to find v- versions of yourself, alternate versions of yourself that have made the opposite decision when you were genuinely on the fence, not just when you thought you were, but when you were genuinely on the fence, which and, and I guess the mechanism behind that is the the differences in the worlds aren't that great, you know. They're right. ju- and so it really has to take some small variation um, is the only way that they're going to find a different version of you. And if if it was based on deep feeling, or as we'll talk about later, some deep 
uh, part of your character, then they're just not yeah. going to find it because a small variation in the weather or whatever wouldn't make you make a different decision. And right. I just want to highlight uh, Eddie Namias, who really wanted to be on this episode, and I apologize, we made this decision at the last second. Well, uh, when you called me, you said, uh, whatever happens, let's pretend as if we deliberated about having Eddie Namias no, on No, that's this. not true, Eddie. <laughs> uh, but he has a paper called Close Calls and the Confident Agent, where he relates this exact idea. It's almost as if Ted Chang read that paper and also uh, Bob Kane's work on free will. But that the idea that um, alternate possibilities makes a difference for responsibility kind of implies that when you make a confident choice, you're not free and you're not responsible. But that doesn't seem right. Like, it seems like if Teresa had a deep feeling, like she still freely chose not to marry Andrew and she still is responsible for that decision. The fact that she might have been on the fence doesn't make her any more free if that means that there is a metaphysical alternate world where she accepted it. That doesn't make it more free, given how random the... That's right. So uh, did you happen to read the um, com- the commentaries on the, the stories, the notes on the stories? Yes, I yeah, did. the and, story. And he has this great thing of called story notes, where he just gives yeah. little notes about why he wrote the story or what interested him about it. And, right, and and here's where he just lays out explicitly, like if if the idea is that freedom requires the ability to have done otherwise or the possibility of having done otherwise, then um, then exactly what you said seems it seems to be a, a contradiction. And he gives the the example of Martin Luther um, opposing the Catholic Church. And saying, I could not have done anything else. And here I stand. I I could do no other. I can do no other or whatever that is in German. Nobody's intuition is that Martin Luther doesn't deserve praise for that, even if he felt like it was not a choice at all. Um, Well, I suppose the Pope doesn't think it deserves praise. But (laughs) right. But the Pope (laughs) has problems of his own. (laughs) Glass houses, you know. Uh, But that's exactly right. So like if it emanates deeply from uh, from your character and is therefore really resistant to an alternative possibility that seems like that's not a, a, that's not really constraining no um, not at all yeah. however there is this other element which comes later in the story again in one of the support group meetings where so so the idea is for that category of choices where where you really could make a different choice depending on all these various kind of random or uh, factors, contingent factors, it's really important, this character, Dana, says, that you make the right choice because that will then subsequently in, uh, influence your future character. And so in some sense, when it is a choice that could lead to different alternate universes, the stakes are even higher because not only will it subtly change your character in this world, or it could subtly change your character in this world, that will then have that will have implications for not just your choices in the future, but like the choices of many different. There's, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And this is it. it was a little unclear to me at first, and maybe in the discussion um, when we talk about the 
the the sort of arguments against nihilism because people in this world who have this this opportunity to see their parallel selves some of them report that what does it matter if i made this choice because there is a universe where somebody made the exact opposite choice and so what does it matter which one you do in this world so first of all yeah there is that's ambig- ambiguous because according to what at least dana says and according to how i understand that's just not true she says right um like I, this is on page 327 for people who have the print versions this is the character dana again in general i think your actions are consistent with your character there might be more than one thing that would be in character for you to do because your behavior is going to vary depending on your mood, but there are a lot more things that would be utterly out of character. If you are someone who always loved animals, there isn't a branch where you kick a puppy just because it barked at you. If you're someone who always obeyed the law, there's no branch where you suddenly rob a convenience store instead of going into work in the morning. Um, but this is why I think crimes of passion are the ones that are on the rise is because crimes of passion really could go either way a lot of the time and aren't necessarily in character in in the sense of loving animals or being law-abiding and so those are the ones to specify crimes crimes of passion in this story is explicitly stated as being the one kind of thing that's changed yes Um, right uh, yeah But then she says the branch where you're having a bad day and keep the extra change is the one that split off in the past. Your actions can't affect it anymore. But if you act compassionately in this branch, that's still meaningful because it has an effect on the branches that will split off in the future. The more often you make compassionate choices, the less likely it is that you'll make selfish choices in the future, even in branches where you're having a bad day. So it's like your bad choices, when it's a legitimately a choice that is within the realm of your character and feelings can have these reverberations, not just right. for your life, but for future lives. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. You're like populating the multiverse with, with goodness yeah. or, or um, badness depending. or badness. Yeah. 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 It's super interesting the way he deals with this. I know this is, this is sort of back to the, the description of the world in the sci-fi sense, because, um, you know, when you have these many worlds descriptions, as for instance, Rick and Morty fans know, you have this um, seemingly infinite uh, scape of possible universes. And he deals with, Ted Chang deals with this problem very nicely where it's like the only universes that we have contact with are by necessity nearby universes because only in those universes would somebody else that is exactly you were very close to you would take a prism you know go to a shop and try to talk to each other so he's he's uh uh in in this move made it so there's only parallel universes that are so close to to ours that it would actually that you could run these counterfactual exercises of what if i chose this way or not Well, except in the case of a freak accident um as we get into the story one of the plot points is you know, like a drunk driver and who dies in the accident, that can be different. You That's could right. talk I mean, to a paraplegic version of yourself, which is very different, but it's yeah. because of just a, a freak accident that where you happen to survive instead of die or you happen to die or, or happen to get paralyzed instead of not get paralyzed, you know. 
Yeah, I, I meant nearby really in even those senses as opposed to like the the near infinite number of universes where humans never evolved, right? right like, because right. there is like just, so it has yeah. to be something. Um, so, so last question that I have uh-huh. abstractly. <laughs> Did you is answer, by the way, what you, wh- whether you would? You asked me, but I, I don't think you said whether you would talk to yourself. Or version of yourself. I'm pretty... I, I feel, you know, I, I, I'm happy with how the choices I've made have led to where I am in a way that I feel secure enough that I might want to talk to the version of me that didn't go to graduate school, uh, decided, because that was a fairly close decision, decided not to go to yeah. graduate school in philosophy. Like, and would I be upset if it turned out he stuck with filmmaking or you know now is like in hollywood making like awesome revered independent movies you know yeah but you know I, that'd I, be a I, hard one to find amongst all the ones who are making shitty movies exactly <laughs> right like so like it would be i feel like there's it was it's way more likely that i the thing i would worry about more was just feeling bad for a, versions of myself that didn't yeah. catch the break that i that i caught or didn't you know like that was exactly my yeah. intuition like yeah. i'd be <laughs> i feel like i can i wire this guy some money right? but i i like it i guess it just depends you know like i think it's so fascinating to think about like yeah, I mean, in some ways, I, I agreed with you what good can come of it, but I, it would yeah. be super fascinating to yeah. talk to a version of yourself that, you know, in my like late 20s, just took a completely different course than the one I've taken. Um, and there's an interesting question, because the, uh, the crystal ball company that actually is tracking down um, the various prisms with different versions of you, right? So they're systematically trying, this is their business. Um, and they gave you the option to talk about somebody who's uh, to talk to a version of yourself that's substantially better off or substantially worse off than you in whatever important ways and gave you that choice. Like, which yeah. one would you choose to talk to? I would definitely choose the better off one. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> because but again, I think that's because I don't have any big regrets, you know, yeah. like of choices I've made and where that put me. But, um, but you know, I, I, I could, I could, that could come back to haunt me. I could see right. that, that choice could come back to haunt me. I, I thought it was very nice, by the way, that it's in, included in this is, um, in the description of this technology is, as we mentioned, that it wears out. But like, it's important that it wears out because once that, that prism actually wears out, there is, will never be any communication between those two universes again. Yeah. Like not with another person. Like there's just, that's it. That's just it. <laughs> and where like a, a person talks, uh, one man talks with his husband who died in a car crash. That means that now they have this prism's life to talk to each other. And then they will, and then, and then they will never, yeah. they will never be able to contact each other. Yeah. Again. And more bandwidth takes up more of the prisms, uh, whatever energy, whatever you want to call it. And so if they choose to do video chat, like they actually run, it's like they're running out of minutes, you know, yeah. on a cell phone plan. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That's so like, so do you go for video knowing that, that <laughs> it's, uh, I would definitely go for one Skype sex session, you know, <laughs> one prism sex <laughs> with yourself splurge. Yeah. <laughs> splurge to splooge. 
the the story that I thought was most cringy, poignant was the story of Lyle, who found out for whatever reason that his para self was going out with this girl, and he was pretty <laughs> happy. And so he tracked down the version <laughs> of the that girl uh, or that woman in this world and told her what happened and they had a date and you know like clearly they're compatible if his paraself <laughs> and her paraself are having this good relationship and it just goes just badly uh and yeah, like you said you... cringe cringe worthy badly because he starts talking yeah he starts uh, talking about like how clearly they're meant to be well, yeah it's would terrible. you so would you do, would you do that or would you have done that and <laughs> your single yeah, days no not at all man not at all like that seems i just ask my i just ask my para self like you know just hey give me some some war stories <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah for your spank bank <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's so like like i'm sure listeners can come up with their own variations on just like all the very like that's what like this is world building at its very best um yeah i one thing that i is a little bit i don't know if this is philosophically confused or what but my sense is when you make a decision that is one that could be different in an alternate universe usually that's because of something that you aren't responsible for, right? Like in the sense of you didn't cause. It's a change in the weather that affected your mood. That it then So even though that will have a reverberating effect on your character in this life and also in alternate lives, um, it's not something that you would be responsible for in, the, in, in that sense. That's, that's uh, in, in the sense that it's because of something you did. It's just because of something, or originally because of something you did, it's because of something uh, that doesn't involve you, that's purely contingent. Yeah. And yet, there is what Dana said that I read earlier, which is it's important to, to make the right choice because of the effects that that can have on future. So on the one hand, she seems to be saying that this is something you're responsible for, um, at least within these close call kinds of situations. But on the other hand, you get this sense that the things that influence you in those close calls aren't things that ultimately originate in you. And in that sense, I don't think it's philosophically confused. It just gets to the heart of the free will That's, debate. I, yeah. I was going to, I was going to yeah. say that that is exactly the free will debate. And it's ex specifically, it's exactly the part that um, a, a, a few uh, people emailed us about our discussion uh, last time about the free will stuff, because it's exactly kind of saying in a very in almost in the in the way that we were saying without fleshing it out too much that of of course determinism is true but also of course you're morally responsible for some of the things that you do right and in this case determinism just isn't true right in this yeah, in this case i well we could talk about that because the very last story is just one big like uh, very strict um, causal story, like no matter what you did, the things all happened. But I think that that's a kind of more fatalism. But I mean, like determinism isn't true in the sense that you there are times where two different po metaphysical possibilities uh, oh. are 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 open that are determined by a quantum event. 
You know what? We had this discussion. What what were we talking about when we talked about parallel universes? I think that the the existence of parallel universes where where there are slight variations, like you turned left instead of turning right, that it it is agnostic as to whether freedom is exists. That is, there are pure quantum events that can, and in fact, Chang goes out of his way to say like atmospheric conditions. Like the guy who invented this this technology was an atmospheric scientist, and he was just studying how very very small variations in a, in the local conditions can have these very big effects. I think that that um, you could have universes that are entirely deterministic that split due to probabilistic uh, events that take place, or you could have entire universes where there is free will and and. And that's what accounts for the difference. Well, so, so I'm not saying, I, I wasn't saying anything about free will. I was saying that, yeah. that this isn't a deterministic universe because, the, you know, just by the, once you activate the device, two different things can happen at that. Yeah, that aren't it, caused by anything before that. Uh, well, I mean, the, the notion of causality is hard in quantum physics, but yeah. I think that it is deterministic in, in, in any sense of like b- b- previous states having something to do with future states. But Right, but it has to do with future states. I, I don't know. I guess it depends probab- how, like, how you define determinism. Yeah. Um, right. It's definitely not linear, and that's what we were alluding to in the, in, you know, in the Patreon section when we were talking about this, and I said like there's something in the story that's relevant to this. What's certainly clear, at least in the in the explanation that Chang gives, is that there is no straightforward account of like how one thing could affect like there's no there's no good science of what is going on when one thing when when the universes diverge. Like have even with the access to these other universes, it's really, really hard to tell why these changes occurred. Right. And like Historians were super excited, like because they might be able to tell, but like even they gave up pretty quickly because it's such a complex system. That yeah, right. Unless again, there's this loophole yes. where yeah. you use the prism yeah. to right. uh, make the choice for you. And I, I'm somebody that does things like that. Like I'll flip a coin <laughs> five times, and and part of it is that I'm I, I want I want to see if I'm subtly rooting for one outcome. And so if I'm like, no, don't be another Tails, uh, like, well, that tells me that some part of me that I wasn't aware of. But sometimes I really just don't want to, like, I'm completely 50-50 and I'm letting the coin decide. Um, are th- are these like, a, sh- should I, like, uh, should I steal money kinds of decisions or do I want Chinese or Chinese or Thai food tonight? They're... They're not moral. I don't think I've used it for uh, ever for moral decisions, but they're often a lot more momentous than where to go for takeout. Yeah, like, like it could be where to go for a vacation or you know something like mm. that. Um, and again, a lot of it is just trying to see if there's some part of like which one I'm sort of subtly rooting for in a way that's not I'm, I'm not right. uh, it's not available to me. Right. It's um, an epistemic exercise. But but a lot of the time I realize I'm not really rooting for anyone and then I just let it decide because it just take like I don't want to just think about it for two two more hours <laughs> yeah. and and be in the same position. But in this case, if you do that with the the quantum world, you can then be in contact with the version of you that, you know, took the different vacation or that took, you know, you I, I even did this with my job. 
Um, in retrospect, I do think taking my job at University of Houston was probably something that there's no version of me that wouldn't do that. <laughs> I think, but at the time I remember doing it, um, but you know what I mean? Like I could talk yeah. with a version of me who didn't take this job. I, and if I let that thing make the decision for me because I was, that's right. It's that. the, it's like the, the, the randomized controlled trial of parallel universes. Yeah. Like it is, it is narrowing down causality in the only way that's possible. That's possible. Um, exactly. Yeah. Right. All right. Should we take a quick break and then talk about the plot, the actual plot of the story? Yeah, let's do that. Right. Let's do that. This episode is also brought to you by one of our favorite sponsors, GiveWell.org. GiveWell searches for the charities that can save or improve lives the most per dollar donated. GiveWell conducts in-depth evaluations, shares the most effective charities they've found, and their eight top charities do just an incredible amount of good. They fight infectious diseases and improve the lives of some of the world's poorest populations. As we start getting into holiday season, uh, Dave, I strongly recommend that our listeners go to givewell.org and try to get the most bang for their buck in helping other people. You know what? Just like they keep trying to extend holiday purchasing season, like to, to like the day after Thanksgiving, like whatever, Black Friday and Cyber Tuesday, let's extend the charitable spirit at least into October and, and just do a little bit for, for somebody else. And I think GiveWell is the perfect place to do that. GiveWell operations are independently supported by donors and GiveWell takes no cut of donations it processes, which is pretty impressive. They do all this work because they want to help the world as much as as much as they can. It's a trustworthy organization. More than 50,000 donors have trusted GiveWell to direct their donations. Together, they've given over $500 million to the organizations GiveWell recommends. These donations will save over 75,000 lives and provide cash grants of over $90 million to the global poor. GiveWell spends over 20,000 hours annually researching charity, and they have a rigorous and transparent process to make sure that these charities will use your donations as effectively as possible. So if you're so inclined, please go to givewell.org and donate. Um, you can, at some point, say that you got there through Very Bad Wizards. And I, you know, I want to say that we talked to uh, the people at GiveWell this time around, and they said something very nice about our listeners. They said that they had really seen a difference. So uh, it means a lot to us that you guys went out and let them know that that you came from us. But even if you don't, just just uh, it will make us happy if you do a little bit of good this holiday season. Thanks to GiveWell.org for supporting this episode. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to start digging into the plot, but but Tamler and I were talking about this story. Part of the reason that we've been able to talk this long without getting into the nitty gritty of the plot is that this really is a lot of plots. It's more like an anthology. It's like it's a fairly long short story, but it's an anthology with in this world, there's a bunch of characters and subplots. And I think that um, the best way to proceed is just to talk about some of these sub stories. I mean, there's one central one, but there's just a bunch of different characters who are dealing with this universe in in different ways and their stories intersect um yeah in interesting ways too so the story that we were talking about uh, earlier dana is a therapist within one of these uh support groups right 
Yeah, she is the yeah. like group leader, support group yeah. leader. And you you want to talk about Jorge first because he has a small self-contained story. He meets with Dana, uh, the therapist, for a few sessions. He's he's not relevant to the rest of the plot, but he is a per- it's like a perfect little arc that yeah. that illustrates some of the philosophical ideas too. Yeah. So so Jorge is is in private therapy with Dana, right? Yeah. He works at this job where he has a just a a job's worth, as the British say, for a boss. Just a total fucking prick um, who throws his weight around, who is mean and belittling. And so this Jorge got really mad one day and slashed his tires and got away with it. He did not get caught. Um, right. for doing that. And so he's not trying to decide whether to confess to the crime, but he's trying to decide whether to talk to his wife about it and to confess at least to her what he did and maybe because of that to seek some sort of anger management or something. And so he gets on, he goes to Crystal Ball, I think, or one of these data collection companies and he finds out that the only other versions that they could find of him did not slash the tires. Right. So he concludes from that, <laughs> this is the first part of his story, that, well, it's not a real big part of his character. He doesn't have to worry about it. He's not even going to bother telling his wife because that could make her fear something about him that just isn't true and the way the evidence that it's not true is the fact that most versions of him didn't commit that act and 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 dana it's a little sort of you know disapproving of this decision at first but she wants him she's not going to tell him that yeah can i quote can i quote this uh part of the conversation so so jorge says uh, so it was a recent, they, they tracked down six versions. Um, says, I asked them to send questions to six versions of me since it's such a recent departure point, it was cheap. So I asked for a video. This morning, they sent me a bunch of video files, recordings of what my paracelves said. And then he says, none of my paracelves have punctured the, their manager's tires. And she goes, what do you think that means? And he goes, it means that, that my puncturing his tires was a freak accident. The fact that I did it doesn't say anything important about me as a person, which threw me for a loop, actually. I... Uh, like what that kind of a backward reason <laughs> i would say i would think that it says something central about the you in this world you're the only one but you can see the reasoning behind it yeah right? no i totally like, can i, I just so, thought it was a- it, it's sort of like he's saying like you know like you can imagine a stand like a prison guard in the stanford prison experiment if that was real saying, well, I know now that that wasn't really a result of me. That was a result of the situation. And so, although in this case, I don't know exactly what made me do it, I can feel confident that it's not something essential to who I am as a person. But you're right that there's something weird about that because he did do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like this Jorge <laughs> like, actually it's not like did somebody it. like held a gun to it. Um, yeah. and, and he concludes, he concludes that therefore he's, he shouldn't really have to tell his wife because it's not something that's deeply part of him. And th- this echoes something. I think this is why you were saying this story is such a good little microcosm. Um, it echoes some point that, that, uh, 
that is made in other parts of the story, which is that um, I think at some point uh, Dana uses the metaphor of deep grooves in the brain that that if if your action is caused by by this sort of like over and over again, building a habit, building a character that causes you to act in this way, then he would have seen it across all of the the six people like it would be deeply part of his his behavior. Um, uh, but in this case, he thinks it's non-diagnostic. Uh, probably, though. What it does show, I think, going by the premises of the story, is that maybe it was unlikely that he would do it. Like, it took, a, it took some sort of weird change in the atmosphere or something. Right. To, but he does have it in him in a way yeah. that some people would not have it in them to do right this animal lovers to, would never kick a puppy right right yeah. exactly so but he's not seeing that he is seeing just well look initially then there's we, yeah. we go back to jorge and but at least initially he's saying well this isn't me this is a quantum weird event yeah and the metaphor that he uses is such a you know i love this story because of it's just such a deep reflection on what character is but he uses the metaphor of <laughs> of getting back medical tests. So like mm-hmm. he he was like, no, what it meant that all those other six guys, those other six Jorge's didn't do it is that I got a medical test back and I'm in the clear. Like it's it was non-diagnostic, like it's or at least it was diagnostic that I'm not deeply sick. Right. I got a second yeah. opinion and <laughs> a third opinion and those opinions um said that i don't have this disease right yeah and then she says uh so, so dana says so let's think of it as a medical test you had some symptoms that might have indicated something serious but it turns out you don't have cancer of course it's great but you still had those symptoms what does it mean and then he thinks well if it's not a disease what does it matter which is a, a, again like something that that Chang comes back to it matters because like the guy's tires got slashed <laughs> like <Yeah>. it matters <laughs> well there's two ways so so let's talk about then his change of heart um which comes towards yeah. the end of the story and i think that's the only time we see him right these yeah, two episodes so. a few weeks later he comes back and he says i've been wondering if i should go back to lidoscope and ask them to contact my paracels again and then she says, why? I want to know if they've acted out since the last time I checked. And then he describes a, a, a more recent interaction with his mar- manager where he felt so angry that he wanted to smash things. He, t- he talks about that medical test and he said, it felt like I had gotten the results of the medical test and maybe that the test wasn't sensitive enough. And so now he's worried that, well, maybe he does have this anger problem and she says i want to suggest something even if your paracelves haven't acted on their anger recently maybe it's worth thinking about what happened here in this branch and and he's like how can i know if it was a freak accident or not unless i check my paracelves and she admits it's obviously out of character for you. There's no question about that, but it was still something you did. You, not your paraselves. So, I don't know. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's wrestle yeah, with that for a second. Like, um, I, I, you know, I, I think that, that in this world, the introduction of these parallel selves have, have 
thrown people for a loop because it seems, at least this is my interpretation, it seems as if it's saying something deep about you, but in fact, it's giving you no more information than you would have normally. Like, you, your character is what you do. <laughs> like, and, right. Assuming uh, that you know that often the things that we do are influenced by weird, contingent, right. freak things, right. uh, assuming that you recognize that about just agency, then in some sense, this isn't telling you something that you don't already know. Uh, right. And and the part that I think is, I think Dana's being a little charitable to him or being like a sort of on purpose nice because uh, clearly he has anger issues. So he's consistently getting angry. It's just that in these six other worlds, he didn't act out in that that one time. But like, I think that it's really relevant to his character that he that he struggles with anger. Like right. And that, you know, like to go back to the diagnosis thing, well, maybe he didn't have that particular disease, but he still has those symptoms. Right. And so you should kind of explore, well, what's the deal with those symptoms, even if you can be somewhat... Com- but this is where it gets a little confused. So then she says, so Jorge is, is kind of reflecting on this and he says isn't it important that it was out of character for me instead of being something typical for me and dana says of course it is but even if you are acting out of character you have to take responsibility for your actions Mm -hmm. and what she means by that is not that she should tell the manager and confess to the police but that he should uh really accept that this happened and at least tell his wife even if it turns out that his paraselves haven't acted on their anger and 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 so that's a I, I take it a subtly different question so the first question is whether it really is out of character for him right given that he did it the second and, and what we mean when we say out of character the second question is even if it was out of character you did it and so you should take responsibility for it um in some sense. And I think that is what Dana is pressing, although sometimes it seems like she's pressing the idea, well, clearly it was in character in some sense. It was in the realm of what your character is capable of doing. I think it connects to what um, Chang is saying in other parts of the story, where I think one reason to consider this an important thing to take responsibility for is at least within the story, the possibility that you having done this is actually going to be integral to the development of your future character. Right. And if you don't take responsibility in this case, you're basically opening, you're you're setting down a new little groove in your brain. Right. right? I was and, just going to say groove. You created a little groove, you know. Yeah, and you exactly. Don't, you don't want to keep the, have that groove keep getting, uh, what do grooves do? Yeah, you know, the water, like the water will be more likely to flow that there that time and it'll get deeper. Um, you don't want to do that. And I think this um, is a, a compliment to the story of, um, what's her name? Not Morrow, but... Nat. Nat. Yeah. Um, but before we leave this, just, yeah. to, uh, just to make sure I understand what you're saying there. So taking responsibility in this sense is kind of stopping the groove from developing in such a way that it really does become in character in the sense that Jorge means it, right? So taking responsibility keeps 
actions like that out of character. And it's kind of ironic, if not almost paradoxical, that you are taking responsibility for something that is out of character so it doesn't subsequently become in character. Right. It's it's a kind of forward-looking responsibility. And I, and it feel it really feels like Chang is is outlining some sort of virtue theory view of yes. of, you know, um which are this reason uh, that I love it. So so it's not as you said, it's not responsibility in in like that you should get punished or you should go confess, but rather take responsibility for your future self. Like Yes. Don't yeah. let this become a habit. Uh, so let's talk. You want to talk about Nat and uh, yeah. So yeah. right, yeah. So Nat is the, is the central uh, char- character. At least it's the one we're first introduced to. And um, Nat works at one of these. It's it seems like a, a a joint that's on the way down. Right. It's like a it's a, a franchise of these prisms. Um, and uh, it's it's franchise in the sense that they don't seem to be very controlled by the external company or the big company these two people morrow and and nat kind of run run this shop where they sell people time on these prisms and they buy old prisms um that that people can use to talk to other people to talk to their paraselves and they end up being involved in a potential scam two scams Two, yeah, two different scams. One where they uh, trick an old lady out of uh, giving all of her money to them before she dies. And another one that is less scammy and more just uh, uh, fucking disgustingly like like taking advantage of other people. And that of is... a tragedy, yeah. Of a tragedy, right? And that is um this one case that they happen to be able to see uh, with the crystals that they have that a, the the famous couple these two men who were married to each other get in a nasty car accident and one of them dies it's just that they find a crystal where it's the other one who died in the other world and this is a boon for them because what they can do is go to the famous survivor in their own world and say hey you know in this parallel world your husband exists it's you who are the one who died. So they plan to just essentially for as much money as they can get uh, bank on this tragedy bank on the, on the, um, the grief, the grieving survivor husbands in order to get a big paycheck. So just to be clear, they don't own this prison. That's part of the right. scam. So, so Murrow, who is kind of like an ambulance chaser, he is an yeah. ambulance chaser for prisms. He he scans for all these tragedies, hoping that something like this will come up. And and he happened to overhear in a support group that uh, right. one man, the man Lyle, yeah. the one who tracked down the girl his paraself was was going out with. Um, and Lyle said that the, his paraself in that world, the, the other person survived in that accident. And so what Murrow, who's kind of the ringleader, uh, does is he, he enlists Nat to, co- to go to the support group and to try to convince Lyle to sell his prism to their company. Right. That's the scammy part, right? She pretends to be a fellow uh, whatever. Yes. Like member of this group, yeah. Yeah, and so she has to go to this group and sort of slowly ingratiate herself to this guy, Lyle, and 
and and do somewhat shady things to convince Lyle to sell the prism to them but, and without revealing that she works for that company. So right. she would sell it to Morrow. So now yeah. um, a couple of things about Nat. She is a former addict who has um, is now in recovery, and she's successfully staying away from drugs. But she still does these kind of shitty things to get money. So even though she's kicked the drug habit and she's no longer doing doing the things that are associated with that, her character hasn't transformed in a big way when it comes to these kinds of moral questions. She's not an ultimate, just totally unredeemable scammer like Murrow. She is, but she is someone that is willing to to play along for some additional cash. Right. So she is just reflective enough to realize that she doesn't care very much about the kinds of actions she engages in. So they give little hints throughout the story. Like she's like, you know, when people say, would you give back the change if some, if a cashier gave you too much change back? And she was like, I would never even think about giving back the change. That would make my day just so much better. Right. Like just unconditionally happy. And, uh, but, but she is reflective enough to see that she is this kind of a person who's, who's going pretty far in 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 this scam like completely lying to this man for a month you know yeah in order to yeah and she's not a part of this other kind of also sick scam which is to convince this old dying lady that she can transfer money to the version of herself who isn't dying from this disease which actually is impossible um that will have consequences for Murrow, but that's Murrow's side scam. The scam that they're in on together is Nat going undercover to the support group to try to convince Lyle to sell her the prism. And the way she has to do that, she's smart. So she has to psychologically kind of manipulate, and she does this in ways that aren't necessarily unhealthy for Lyle. Right. Because it's probably good for Lyle to sell his prism, given that it's causing him this much anxiety and suffering. But it, obviously it's deceitful and and wrong. This is all building up to this moment where she finds the grieving husband, gets in contact through with his assistant. They set it up so that the Paris self on the other side of Morrow is, is um, also setting it up with a survivor on that side. And but Murrow um, has been the, killed in her. But world. Murrow has been, yeah, in this he's world, been he's been shot been... by the son of the woman that he cheated out in his sky, side scam. So right. in her world, but not in the other world, because in the other world, this was a crime of passion. Uh, right. That that the the guy decided not to shoot Murrow, but in her world, it's just her now. Right. She uh, is in contact with the other Murrow. Right, and she's clearly not. Uh, uh, doesn't have a lot of money and um she sees you know dollar signs in her eyes with this decision to sell to sell this prism to the surviving husband um but something happens in her where she really seems to start reflecting on what she's doing to this grieving husband who's who who is the only chance that he has of talking to his um to his deceased husband and at one point, she says to the assistant who she's been negotiating with about the price, and she's he's offered her a lot, a lot of money. She goes, 
he probably has a lot of fans because he's a, a pop star in this universe and his husband was an, an actor. Um, she says, he probably has a lot of fans who would have given him this for free, doesn't he? Um, she says, yeah, he does. And he, she says, but even, but a lot of people, even without being his fan, might have given him this for free, huh? And it's a weird realization to think like it's, it hadn't even really popped into her head that most, that many people wouldn't be doing this. But it does in that moment. And in that moment, she does something. She makes the decision, uh, which is not obvious at first what she decides. But as yeah. the money has already been transferred, she has to just click the accept button and she'll have a whole bunch of money. And she hasn't really hurt anybody. In fact, she's brought the opportunity to this rich pop star. And the guy has so, the money. And the guy has the money. He didn't even blink at the, yeah. at the price tag. But there is something about the way in which she's doing it that's, that bothers her for a second. Right. And and I think that part of what what he's trying to say it here is just like these small decisions sometimes really, really matter. And and um, this is, I think, optimistically, a move in the right direction for Nat. Well, now, wait a minute, though. She accepts the money. She, oh, yeah. OK. She but, does but, accept the money, but she it, it's. We we later find the right choice for her to accept the money based on what she does with the money. So she doesn't, um, and this is so. This is such a beautiful little twist at the end of the story. But it requires that we talk about Dana and yeah. her arc. So let's just say she accepts the money. It sets you up to think not accepting the money is the right choice. That's right. And accepting the money will show it's still same old Nat. She hasn't changed. But in fact, uh, and you don't know whether she's accepted it or not until the very last kind of paragraph of the story, pretty much. But 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 it involves Dana because Dana was running the support group. Um, mm -hmm. And so we have to talk about her arc. Now, I kind of wonder where we are now at. Yeah. 204. So I wonder if we could leave a cliffhanger and do, because I, I think there's so much more to discuss as we talk about Dana and her arc. And then I think just a general discussion once we have the plot. Do you want to do this in a part two, given that we're two, over two hours recording right now? If you think about the Dana story. So in that story, yeah. it is kind of the opposite of what has been going on where different choices were made, but the same yeah. thing ends up happening. And so- okay. It shows that, okay. in that sense, character is destiny in ways that have are, are yeah. at least in seemingly in tension with other parts of the story. Yeah, and then we can we can talk about what you know. What is he trying to say? Like, what are the implications here? Like, is, is if anything, yeah. is he saying? Yeah. yeah. What is yeah, he, yeah. Okay, let's do that. All right. We may add something on in case that's not enough for a second segment next time. But I think yeah. there's a lot more to talk about with this story and what what's beneath it what it's trying to say about life and people and character and freedom and responsibility so yeah and and it gives two other opportunities one for anybody who hasn't read it or or read it quickly and wants to read it again uh, to to do so and it gives me i think a little bit more time to let it settle and and try to figure out actually what chang is trying to say if anything um yeah. with this story it's yeah still still unclear to me like I, yeah I'm I'm uh, I'm actually excited to to think on it for 
another yeah me too for a little while so for those smart asses on reddit this is a decision we are making at the time not a decision <laughs> right. that we shoehorn in later uh <laughs> i mean they are smart <laughs> <laughs> they are smart they do know i remember this one thing on reddit where a guy knew and i never do this i've done this maybe twice in seven years but i i messed up the frankfurt like description of the Frankfurt <laughs> yeah, case. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't live with the fact that I had messed up the Frankfurt case. You know, it's like <laughs> my fucking field. So I just, and I, and I re, it was like 10 seconds of just correcting something that I had said. <laughs> and this, this, I like this guy jadoxing or whatever, but he just yeah, picked it up right away. Yeah. Like he yeah. could tell something about like, you know, the, the ambient noise in the background or whatever. So, <laughs> Uh, anyway uh, alright till next time alright till next time join us on Very Bad with it. the great boss has spoken pay no attention to that man behind the curtain who are you who are you a very bad man I'm a very good man good man Just a very bad wizard.